1: Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast.
0: I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And this week's guest, it's Grammy-nominated producer, multi-instrumentalist, musician Hal Ritson. Uh, I met with Howard at the WeWork building in Devonshire Square, London. Thank you ever so much to those guys for letting me use their space. And we went in. We had a big chat. And uh, you're about to hear it, obviously. But before we get on with that, uh, a few thank yous. So thanks to Mr. 76 for producing this podcast. Um, thank you to Scroobies, Pip, and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. And thanks to you lot for listening. And if you want to hear more then all you've got to do is go and have a look in the back catalogue of this podcast because there's bundles of them. You know, loads of chats with musicians, producers, actors, everyone. Go and have a look. And, uh, And if you've already done that and you're still thirsty for more, then I have a Patreon page. And each week I upload a radio show over there. So there's chat and tunes and stuff like that. So please feel free to go and peruse that. Um, and there's merch, there's really cool art prints from Paul McDonald, and lots of uh, T-shirt designs and stuff. So you can find out about all of this at offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Anyway, back to the job at hand. Please enjoy today's episode of Off The Beaten Track with Hal Ritson. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year and they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew him, okay we are recording we are at the we Work building in devonshire square and sitting opposite me today is musician producer remixer box ticker raconteur <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's cover fighter <laughs> candlestick maker mm. how are you Very good, thank you. It's a
2: lovely, sunny September morning outside. Uh, Couldn't be in a better mood, really, so... Wonderful. Let's go
0: for it. Let's uh, let's try and keep that mood as it is and not spoil it with these questions. Mm. Um... So I should point out now how we've never met before, have we? We have not ever met before, though you're
2: almost identical to my long-term trumpet player, Neil Waters, both in how you look and sound. So it's quite confusing for me. Really? Yes, it's like you're just pretending that you're someone I've never met before
0: and actually you're someone I've always worked with. Right, man, I wish I could just pull out a trumpet and start this with a little sort of fanfare. Dub it in now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're going to be talking about your podcast uh, whilst we uh, discuss... Your, your songs throughout this, and obviously the work you've done. And, and, and Basically, this is going to be the songs that have soundtracked your creative journey. Yes. To start with, the song with the greatest ever intro. Uh,
2: this one was um, a weird one, because okay, I've been sent, in preparation for this, a load of questions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are sort of, um, what was the first time you, or your earliest memory of? Yeah. But it's now... Okay, I am now in my mid-40s, and I was in my first band when I was seven. So it's a really long seven. time... Yes, it's a really long time scale. Okay. And when I pick all the first things, I ended up, I just ended up with a load of stuff from 1984 and 1985, yeah. which is entirely unrepresentative of... Um, uh, my actual musical career now which is yeah. based now um so the thing that instantly came to mind on best intro was um uh, money for nothing by dire straits yep. it's ridiculously baroque in that you just couldn't do it these days mm. it's just got so many it builds up and builds up and builds up Then there's keyboard solos come in and the drum solo comes in and it builds up and that's not even the intro then the guitar comes yep. in and there's a second introduction yep. and it was like the sort of and then of, the drums. Yeah, it's yeah, and and it does the kind of smoke on the water thing as yeah. well, where the, first of all there's a the guitar playing, mm. then the bass comes then the bass and drums come in, and then yeah. the vocals co- it all builds up. It's um it was sort of um peak. I mean, prog ended in the seventies, but you could still do over-the-top stuff in the eighties before Grunge and
0: Acid House stripped it all back to basics again. I think and, that mid eighties point there was because obviously, mm-hmm. stings on that vocal at yeah. the beginning of "Money for Nothing" mm-hmm. well, is always. I think it was that kind of a lot of some of them. I guess Collins had left Genesis, mm-hmm. and 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 it kind of become a little bit of a hybrid of sort of dad rock and prog, didn't it? Yeah, dad so prog is that a new so genre?
2: I'm going to get on to what my actual favorite introduction is in the moment, but this is a, a thing where <laughs> how I've old I, are you? How just quickly? Mm, how old uh, am I? Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm 47, right. something like that. Okay. Born in 72, right. um, though. I tend to people don't tend to guess that because i'm a non-drug taker non-drinker non-smoker yeah. um and uh yeah i don't have a proper job so I, okay yeah. um so i ended up with a lot of these songs which are the 80s ones and i said dire straits now if you say dire straits it's sort of you feel like you have to apologize for dire straits for being embarrassing but dire straits started off in the late 70s as a ridiculously cool band mm. because they were just playing this really stripped back minimal um rock songs storytelling totally doing their own creative vision no disco no punk totally doing their own thing which um and it's very understated um and you can tell it it's understated in cool because um Tarantino opens a Tarantino movie with um Six Blade Knife by Dire Straits so yeah. if Tarantino can open one of his movies with of a course. Dire Straits song so Dire Straits, cool. You feel embarrassed saying it because by the mid eighties everything had got so overblown mm. and sort of gratuitous. And uh, I don't really like Money um, Brothers in Arms, the album particularly, mm-hmm. but it is a great introduction.
0: Um, and it shouldn't be overlooked that when that come out, mm. we're, we're, we're the same age. Yeah. Um, that was, I think, one of the biggest albums of all time, I believe, wasn't well, it? It hit, at that point. it hit the
2: moment that the CD commodified. Yeah. So
0: it was usually most people's first CD.
2: It was probably my first CD. Yeah. And also that's the thing about listening to music. All through the sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, um, your desirable status symbol was how good your sound system was. Mm. Um, and, like, guys would, like, try and have the biggest PA you know, sound system they could. And... Um, and CD hit this peak point where suddenly you could hear every single sound yeah. that was on. And the, the other great one at that time was Sting, Nothing Like the Sun, where he made a record on the Synclavier with millions and millions of tracks. There's just about was about 60 people playing on it, mm. and you th- and you can hear them all on. You could you bought bu- it on cassette first, and then you bought it on CD. and go, I can hear everything now. Yeah. So it was an absolutely uh, amazing moment. And for the listeners now, every everyone's listening to MP3s or low bit rate streaming on their phones. And as a producer now, you spend all this time trying to make something sound great and then trying to cope with the fact that no one's ever going to hear it the sure. way that you did in the studio. Whereas in the mid 80s, um, I mean, that, you, they'd be making these amazing records in that Air Montserrat, one of the greatest studios mm. ever, which then got trashed by a hurricane and is now just has jungle growing through it. Um, and it's just amazing sonics and you could actually think people would hear it like that yeah. at home. Um, but anyway, that's not even my favourite introduction. No, I threw it. Sorry, so, so I threw it. I, 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 so that I, like, my... I like some honourable mentions, though. Yeah, yeah, honourable mentions. And, and, um, uh, well, I'll leave that, because I mentioned it's a bit like Smoke on the Water. It's essentially the same thing. You play something in, in, with fifths distorted in G and then bring sure. the bass and drums in. Um, but then I thought, I have to do something that's more representative, of the fact that essentially I work in dance music these days, mm-hmm. and, and it's a long time since that. So <coughs> I chose Music Sounds Better with you mm. as the best intro, because it's totally the opposite Whereas the Dire Straits one is just like so overblown. Music Sounds Better With You is the ultimate proof of minimalism working in dance music. Mm -hmm. It's a one bar loop with a filter cut, so it's just the high pass for what, eight bars or whatever. We have one bar loop, and then they just open up the filter and bring in the kick drum. And I came from this musical background where. it was all about chord changes and solos and songwriting narrative and you know the stuff they teach you is good music yeah. and dance music is all the is not that at all so i thought dance music was basically boring because mm-hmm. you know why do you want to listen to the same thing over and over but i remember radio 1 once used music sounds better with you as one of their it was a tv advert for a radio 1 show and the moment that they opened that filter up and the bass and the drums come in, that's the moment that I went, oh, dance music's pretty cool, actually. It's like like a split second of, oh my God, you've now blown my mind. Everything I thought was good in music is not relevant, and this whole new world opened up. Um, So I'm I'm very happy to present you with two great intros. (laughs)
0: Splendid, splendid. Um, So having that kind of upbringing of, of, you know... uh, a, a, that more sort of structured approach to songwriting as mm-hmm. you mentioned there and then obviously finding electronic music mm-hmm. and, and, and and I guess as you said right at the beginning like Acid Ass kind of, mm-hmm. you know, took, stripped it all back and, you know, we started again. Yeah. Um. Obviously you've worked with so many sort of, uh, aside from, you know, electronic music artists, you've also worked with, I guess electronic music artists, lots of pop stars. Yeah. And so... When you work with pop stars, does your approach to writing an intro differ from what it was if you was working with, say, more of a, a kind of electronic house or or, or, or something so like that? You know? This is an
2: intro's question, is it? Yeah. Well, I think the sh- what you're shaped by is who's playing it. Um, so um, uh, when I was starting doing commercial production, 2003, 2004, you'd have two types of ways to start a song. You have the way for the DJs where it's making it easy for them to blend it with the track before. Sure. Um, so, you know, you sort of 16 bars of kick drums, six, another 16 bars of full drums, bring in mm-hmm. part of, you know, you build it up. Specifically, no one would ever hear it like that. It's just a crossfade from mm-hmm. one track to another. And then the radio edits where you've got your classic radio rules of, you know, around three minutes, sure. have to, um, the beat has to be in within 10, 20 seconds or something. Mm-hmm. The irony is now it's got even more brutal in the Spotify world because the idea with radio was that you had to have the good bit of the track come in soon enough that nobody would would sw- switch, switch to up. a different channel. But people did don't switch channels very quickly. It's it's a bit of an effort to go and oh, I'm actually going to abandon this station. Spotify it's much more brutal. You will press skip if you're not happy within a few seconds. So, so now. Um, it's it's all about, you know, you just have to hit them with the best thing in the whole song within a few seconds or you're going to get skipped and you're not yeah. going to get your play. Um, and it's really weird. Um, I've got um, a compilation of Young Punks tracks that I'm putting out uh, this autumn, um, which is the tracks we did between 2000... Just, just
0: quickly explain Young Punks as okay. well for listeners that, that okay. might not be aware. So young,
2: okay, so I am... I'm a music producer, multi instrumentalist. I spend half my time helping other people who you have heard of, as opposed to you haven't heard of me, <laughs> but people you have heard of help them make their tracks sound great. Yeah. And then people say, Have you worked with anyone famous? And we, we can go down the list at some point, if you want, but I've worked with everyone famous, yeah. big, give or take, mm. you know, it, it, and, and there's all the Kanye's and um, Katy Perry's and mm. blah, blah, blah in there. There's, I've got Four tracks I've worked on in the Radio 1 playlist at the moment, there's always something I've worked Mm -hmm. on and the Young Punks is very much my uh, side personal project where I can do whatever the hell I want but it came out of as we've sort of touched on and we can discuss more, my background is like 50% in the traditional area of music, Um, I played jazz orchestral things, rock heavy metal, all sorts of different music and then 50% in the world of electronic dance and house music and when we started doing the Young Punks around 2003, um, the mashup scene was big. So there was a lot of this, you know, put Christine Aguilera over Smiles Like Teen Spirits type stuff going on. And Breakbeat was massive in London um, with a sort of Camden, Camden Break scene, finger-licking records, um, mm-hmm. bar, uh, bar vinyl, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And also, you still... Um, the memories of big beat and the early days of French house were still fresh. And we sort of brought all these things together into a form of dance music where there were no real rules about tempo or anything. The same way with big beat, you could have a fast big beat track or a slow big beat track. There's not like one tempo of Fatboy mm. slim track. Uh, that was in there and we would just mash in any music we wanted. So we brought, we took that out of the mashup scene that what was enjoyable was combining two things you'd never expect to go well. Um, you get a sort of four top singing over of Ozzy Osbourne mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing, but as the act progressed, the whole scene died because it gets a bit limiting just to combine one thing with another. It's like it's like one note joke mm. sort of thing. But what we did was we carried through that mentality of combining things that shouldn't go together but are interesting when they do go together but making all the music ourselves so we'd for example make our own disco track and our own heavy metal track and our own uh, bossa nova track and then sample ourselves and mash it all together so the sonics is what came out of mashup music but it's original music usually, I mean we do sample other tracks but sure. Um, so that's, it's, a, it's a sort of mashup pet projects that
0: I have what was the question before you told me to say what The Young Punks I was? I was just trying to remember that as you were finishing <laughs> that off um, I was talking about how you approach intros. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: intros. Um me go go to the car. Spotify.
0: What did you ask me? I've lost my way as well. That's, that's going to happen a lot today. <laughs> we're fine, we're fine. Mm-hmm. We'll, um, all right, so uh, we'll have a music show better with you as the greatest intro. So for track two, how the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you?
2: Well, again, this is where, where the word first threw me off a bit because it's like, um, what I've, it's an interesting question. I didn't want to get bogged down with first. I'm thinking the ones I m- formatively remember because music, it's bizarre. You listen to so much music and it doesn't affect you that much. It's just background noise. You think, oh, that's great. But then sometimes something hits you and it, and it, and it, changes your world in some way. Um, and there's just a, a small number of tracks which I've heard where, for some reason, I, I've, I've listed a few, they all can, without fail, make me physically cry nearly every time I hear them.
0: Um, my my mm-hmm. song choice is in them, one of them as well. Which is that? Uh, kiss Me Goodnight and Say My Prayers, Leave the light on the Top of the Stairs, yeah, Tell I My so Names
2: so, so that's, okay, we'll we talk about that one. Always. <laughs> um,
0: so I've got goosebumps just... Yeah, about. yeah, me too. Um, also, <laughs> before
2: that on the album, Blue Velvet America half-glimpsed in the, in the headlights between the trees. Yeah. So it means... Uh, ooh. Yeah. So this is Billy Bragg. Now, Billy Bragg doesn't come across as sensitive, necessarily. <laughs> Though, I mean, I know him personally, and he's a great guy. Yeah. But his <coughs> brand is largely a form of quite brutal activism in which he is right in your face, mm. uh, aggressively in a good way, about
0: social injustice and so on I, I think that come from the abrasive sound of the guitar and his vocal when he first came through yeah. and i think as the careers i mean he's, he's still never sort of you know relented on his political stance but i do think
2: well what know. what's interesting is there's this one album don't try this at home which kind of sticks out from the rest of his catalog a bit it's kind of he referred to it jokingly as the one with the tunes on so it's a bit more pop. There's sexuality was was the hit on it, and then there's you woke up uh, my, uh, my neighbourhood with, with Michael Stipe and Peter Buck. Yeah, yep. um, Michael Stipe was on it, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a few kind of more poppy hits, but Johnny Marr
0: played on "Accident Waiting well, he's to all, Happen." Yeah,
2: yeah, a great song. And um, there's also this amazing uh, "Wish You Were Her." where He's almost oh. being Marvin Gaye. Yeah. So it's a moment where. Um, Billy Bragg has been doing the same kind of thing for a very long career. It's uh, not like, if you compare how different Jefferson Airplane in 1969 are from Starship in 1982, and they're sure. the same band, yeah. no, there's no way to tell they're the same thing. But if you listen yeah. to Billy Bragg in 1985, Billy Bragg in 2019, yeah, there's not really a difference. Yeah. But on this one album, he sort of go, he expresses a few different things. And there's this one track we're talking about here, Tank Park Salutes, which is um, a song about... Oh, come am nearly crying now. Um, <laughs> it's just a song to his father. Yeah. About, it's about mortality. Yeah. And as you get older, the, the, you know, the things you remember about your father when you were younger and then what it means to be older and realise that your father will die and then you will die and then you yeah. will leave your children behind. Those kinds of issues. But it's sung in such a personal way. Just, just memories and that are so personal to him. And what's the weird thing about songwriting? Sometimes... When it's, when it's right, the person writes so specifically personally about themselves and yet touches a universal nerve that everyone can tap into. Yeah. And there's probably no more brutal uh, emotional moment for people than dealing with loss of a close family of member. Course. And he, he gets it so simply and so honestly, and no theatrics, no, no over-emotion in his... Um, Delivery, Mm -hmm. just so matter of fact, a working class delivery, the man talking about his father. And now I haven't lost my father, Mm -hmm. but um, around the time that that happened, I was at university and uh, I was woken up by a knock on the door at seven in the morning. And uh, it was uh, some of the university authorities and said, your dad's had an accident. He's in hospital. You need to go home which was in Newcastle, and I was in Cambridge at the time. It was a long way to go. And um, because of the time of day it was, I assumed he'd been commuting to work, and I assumed he'd been in a car crash. And I sort of travelled the length of the country, and only then found out he'd just rocks off the top of the stairs and just smashed down the stairs, and he was, like, blind in one eye, and, you know, there was uh, brain fluid leaking down his nose if he stood up and all this sort of stuff. And it was that first moment where it's like, oh, God, this could be this could be the end of it all, which it wasn't. Um, But it's a similar, I've been listening to that Billy Bragg's song in in the the previous couple of years. And it's when suddenly there's an intersection between something very important to you and something personal a different songwriter has put into a song um, where you go, yeah, you could just feel the same feeling between the two of them. He
0: he, he released a a track, probably 10 years after Don't Try This at Home, Mm -hmm. um, called Brickbat, which was basically him. And he obviously had children Mm -hmm. and uh, around the same time as Mm -hmm. as, as, as myself. And just hearing it, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I used to want to plant bombs at the last night of the proms and now you'll find me with a baby in the bathtub with the big Mm -hmm. shell listening for the sound of the sea. And it's like, just simple, but he just gets it right every Mm -hmm. time for me. right
2: what's interesting about all of this is billy Bang's sonically very different from almost everything i listen to yeah um and this type of songwriting is very uh alien to almost everything i do professionally because i'm dealing with mostly dance music and club Mm -hmm. music where um the intention almost isn't to be listened to you're forming a rhythmic pulse which intersects with alcohol and sexuality and friends and so on to create a whole mood of the night and your Mm. music is one of the pieces of the puzzle which is why often you can listen to like a track you think is the best track in the world in the club go back home listen to it at home and it's nothing it's one of it's one of the elements and that's where the great dj comes in because the dj these these club tracks aren't the whole story the whole story is the entire night and the dj's job is to build that story from these the the uh The club tracks are just words he has to put into the sentences and then the scheduling of the DJs turns the sentences into chapters and then you have to, you know, frame it with with the environment Mm -hmm. and the sound system. So this whole idea of like trying to really emotionally affect somebody and tell a personal story is totally separate from most of how I spend my time in music. But you asked me about being emotionally affected and that one jumped to the top of the list do you want to look at the other ones at all yes of course i mean uh i, I put down um *Vespertine*. um that album in particular there's a there's um there's the song undo mm-hmm. um a lot the whole album was originally she was trying to make a, an album called domestica which was meant to be her talking about like it's the same thing we talk about the reality of day-to-day life the, how the mundane things are the special things And these days, with like um, Instagram and or you know live your best life and so on, everyone's chasing these amazing experiences around the world, and you know the best hotels, the best cars, live live free from responsibility, Mm -hmm. and of course, that's not what you treasure on your deathbed. Completely. Okay. (laughs) You know you treasure a moment with your family. Yeah, of course. So she tried to make an album about that and she spent like a year sampling sounds of her like chopping onions or doing the dishes and making them into these little soundscapes that sound like electronica but actually it comes out of her life. Then she sort of changed the pace of the album. But um, the song Undo, it's just got this one line. It builds up from these like small electronic noises and little domestic things and her... Saying she's talking about very personal things, but she says in her bizarre Björk poetry, where it comes it from strange angles. Yeah. And there's one moment, and then she builds in these the Icelandic choirs and the string sections. Um, was Mark Belthmelfo still working on that? No, oh. was, I think he was. The, I think he just did um, the, the previous album. Maybe he's on it somewhere. Yeah amazing combination of electronics and non-electronics which i think is my personal area of interest anyway there's a line where she just goes um if you're crying now i'm doing it's like okay everybody cries at that point um
0: she's uh yeah yeah she's just blows my mind every time something comes from new from bjork it's like it's just one of them artists that right, okay, I've got to go and uh, I'd never overlook a Bjork mm-hmm. record. It's always yeah. like, right, okay, something new from Bjork. let's go listen.
2: It's interesting because I've kind of stopped listening to, listening to her because I sort of get the impression that having been obsessive about her first few solo albums, she, I, know what, I know the thing she does now. It's like, how many yeah. times do I need to listen to the same thing? Not that yeah. there's anything wrong with what she's doing now. Yeah. But um, I've I, I, I exactly associate it with a phase. But again, it's um, uh, a songwriter... It's, it's high art when you can just needle in and find the truth. There's, a li- there's some lyrics in, on the album, which I'll try and remember, and obviously get them a bit wrong, but it's um, the, um, from the Unravel track, which I can't find on some versions of the album. Do you know Unravel? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so while you are away, my heart comes undone, slowly yeah. unravels like a ball of twine. The devil collects it, he'll never come back, and when, when you return, we'll have to make new love. That's right. And I remember this sort of thing where you'd be in a relation, if you're in a relationship where you get taken apart from each other, I remember at university you'd like you'd be you'd be in a relationship and you go away for holidays and you come back but you know also if you're a musician and you go on tour and you've got family at home you you know you go away you, you don't come back and just pick up where you lift off yeah. it's like you have to you have to build it again yeah and and she's like totally nailed it with that lyric and but from such a bizarre it's so personal yet yeah, yeah. so bizarre the way she phrases it but um that's what poetry's for isn't it absolutely um, yeah. interesting because
0: the the last three or four people that have done this podcast have, um, have not gone when I, when I asked them about you know the emotion that that they, it gave them you know this is obviously this is quite sad what you know the, mm. the, the emotions I'm imagining these songs are stirring because they're they're heart wrenching records aren't they? Well, I mean the um
2: the Billy Bragg, Bragg one is sad in that it's about mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Bjork ones less so. They're often more. Uh, they're more. Uh, there's a wonder. That's a good word. In, in her delivery, a wonder for nature and a wonder for humans as nature mm. and human behaviour. Mm. You know, I mean. no, uh, uh, um, but but that's that sort, and that's that's an Icelandic kind of yeah. thing, a Scandinavian thing. That yeah. um, the things that are in value in life are the intersection between family and nature. Yeah. Um, half my family's Finnish, and uh, I really noticed culturally the difference there. That you know, um, uh, the things you're striving for aren't necessarily the promotion and even though they're very successful economically you know it's time with family by a lake could be the thing you're trying to achieve in your life they'll take a a month off work or the entire country shuts down so you can spend literally so the whole nation spends a a month with their family by a lake wonderful and um, that's a particularly Scandi way of moving which I mean you and I you say we're of a similar age are we getting fed up with, with are we getting fed up with society these days I mean Clickbait and trolls and Instagram influencers and this, this sort of division into hate and shallowness and it's like okay another thing I did was I in the early nineties I worked in the early days of the internet industry okay. I was um, so I went to Cambridge University in, in King's College Cambridge we had the Turing room where Alan Turing um, did work when he wasn't doing his you know Enigma etc. Yeah. Um, and we were getting the World Wide Web Code, um, like, as CERN developed it. So I was making web pages, like, the month that the web existed, um, which wasn't part of my course. It was just, like, we were, you know, left to play around with yeah. these computers there. And so what my <coughs> one of my friends was the real... We'd <coughs> <coughs> go to hacker conventions and all that sort of stuff in the days. You remember the Hackers movie? Yeah. That was all fun. Um, great soundtrack. And we were so... Um, sort of um, inspired by the potential for what the internet could be. And um, so much of what we were talking about was true. We spent a lot of time talking about disintermediation, where, you know, previously to get a person in no power to reach... Other people, you had to go through, you know, a record company, you had to get to the record company and so on. If you wanted to um, make a TV show, you'd have to, you know, get a production company and go to the network. And if you wanted to sell to customers overseas, you'd have to sell to a supermarket or whatever. And that the internet would disintermediate, and you could just, one person could connect to another. And we're doing it right here. So it genuinely is that that was fulfilled you and i are not we haven't had to go to radio one commissioning editor make a case for this and uh you know we could get sacked if the viewing figures fall beneath yeah you know and that's the beauty of the podcast that you know it's one example of so many and but what we what we thought with the internet was it would remove the barriers to knowledge so previously if if you were sort of in a position on the planet where you were able to go to university, you'd have access to higher education. But with the internet, all the information in the world would be available to anyone, and so it would be this great unifying access to information. But instead, entirely the opposite's happened, which is everybody wants to be a star. Everyone wants to say their opinion matters. It's actually got rid of any... Now anyone can stand up and say what I say is true. My opinion's as, in, as valuable as yours, even if your opinion is something that undermines 500 years of scientific knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then people want to feel like there's a conspiracy against them because it will justify what's happening to them in their lives. So they chase after flat earths and anti-vaccines and all of this sort of stuff. And then the fact that people can communicate immediately but without any face-to-face consequences has just removed any sense of civility from discourse. People will be absolutely vile to people for no reason other than to get a little dopamine hit of, look at me, look at me now, didn't I say something clever? Yeah. Look at It's like the school gra- playground bully ethos spread across the whole of society. I, it's like so depressing. And this is why I get back to the Scandinavian thing, which yeah. comes out of Björk, is, you, you know, I'm at a point where I'm start, even though I work on the internet and the podcast goes out on the internet and mm-hmm. so on, in terms of valuing your life, you know, Good music, good friends, time in nature. You've got to start focusing on those things and not on how many likes you've got on Instagram and how many people retweeted your your witty tweets and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, we're just all going to go mad.
0: Absolutely. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the
2: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there... I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Just also, uh, can you just uh, retweet this episode as well, though, if you're listening, please? Yes,
2: and my podcast is at (laughs) podcast.theyoungpunks.com and punks is spelled P-U-N-X. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. So we, 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 whilst talking about education, it, it seems fitting that um, track three is a song that reminds you of your time at school.
2: Oh, yeah. So I put down um, Van Halen dr- Jump. Uh, it could have been anything, really. but So my, I grew up in the middle of the Northumbrian Moors. And there was absolutely nothing to do. And I've been trying to re- remember this now. No, no youth club, no BMX park, no nightclubs. Mm-hmm. You know, you were a child, you went to school, you came home, and then when you when you were... 16 stroke, 18, you started going to pubs where people would drink beer. And that, that, was, that was all there was. So what people would entertain themselves with was we'd have bands. Yeah. And I've heard people talk about the school band. And we had at any one time, eight or nine school bands. And I was at any one point in time in two school bands playing. I played um, drums in a Glenn Miller swing band, led the school orchestra, played grand piano in the... Uh, in the um, county orchestra, played um, saxophone in a, in a jazz band. This is all, We spent all our time doing these things. And the reason I put... H- and how old were you at this point? Well, just, you know, between seven and 18. This is, this is what, how I spent my time. Wow. Now it's my job. Yeah. I, nothing I've learned... So I, I, I got st- straight A's at, at GCSE and A level, and I've got a degree from Cambridge, and none of it is any use to me. <laughs> Everything that earns my living, I learnt after school sitting in some rubbishy practice room with a bad PA and a broken drum kit with two aging teachers who used to be pub rockers who would stay voluntarily after school going, no, the bass player plays on the same timing as the kick drum. We don't want a guitar solo over the singer. I learned everything that yeah. I earned my living from, from those two guys in the evenings. Nothing from Wonderful. my conventional education. But there was a lot, it was a, it was a big rock town. Everyone was in punk bands and heavy metal bands, but I was a keyboard player mostly. So what would happen is the, the heavy metal bands, would there'd always like one track in the catalogue with a piano or synth in it. Yeah. And there was um, Home Sweet Home is by... Okay, can't remember who it was people listening may know anyway van halen jump was the classic one where every yeah. metal band wants to do van halen jump at yeah. some point so i like their high-end hand we'd have these school concerts and it's like, it's like i come along like, oh can i come on and play jump now yeah um and i still <laughs> have it on in the car um it's just like uh, the moment that those drums enter at the beginning, tick-a-ding, tick-a-ding, ding, yeah. clap. <coughs> yeah. it's like yes, I'm straight away. <laughs> I'm 15. I'm in the car of the guy who's 17 and has a, a second-hand car. You know, it reminds me of um, you know Stranger Things with uh, you know Billy with his Camaro, yeah. and it's like okay, it wasn't a Camaro, it was a Astro or something. Yeah. But in my mind, you know, we were listening to the same music that the guys Brilliant. in the Camaros in, in in the states were. Suddenly you're like in this glamorous world of heavy metal and long hair and explosions and girls and lipstick, yeah. even though we're just driving along a Northumbrian um, you know, sort of winding roads to a church hall to yeah. try and plug in a bad PA.
0: So aside from, like, obviously you said, you know, that, 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 <coughs> that synth line on, on, on Jump, mm-hmm. he's, you know, I mean, Jump's a pop song as well fundamentally, isn't he? He's, 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 and,
2: and the ultimate 80s guitar solo as
0: yeah. well. So aside from the kind of rock stuff, was... Was, you know, messing with synthesizers and that, was the, the sort of 80s synth pop on that on the, on the, on the headphones? Well, yes and no. And so, also, just as well, mm. another one to throw in mm. there as was there music on at home as well?
2: Yes, this is, all,
0: yeah lots of questions, they're all good ones. Mm. So on
2: the synth pop front, um, I actually really started off with, like, um, uh, the early uh, Depeche Mode stuff, when particularly with Vince Clarke. I'm a big Depeche Mode fan, and I don't, I'm not a fan of depressing music. Mm. Um I, find I want music to lift my spirits usually, and it's odd we've spent a long time talking about songs that make you cry. It's yeah. very much the, an outlier of my listening. I usually want to be made in a better mood at the end of music, at of course. The end of it. which means that most of Depeche Mode's miserable catalogue about death and drug abuse means absolutely nothing to me. But when Vince Clark was there going, I just can't get enough. Yeah. And you know the, the sort of early 80s stuff, absolutely adored that. New Wave, very into that. Duran Duran, um, Robert Palmer um, all, all that I, I mean I, I guess I, I picked up on music at a young age um, but it was just that when New Wave happened and you had the punk energy was still there but they were sick of writing three chord songs and start everybody, even the punks were all experimenting with adding in disco and jazz and that sort of thing
0: Was you obsessing over music?
2: Oh yeah um, I, could, I mean it was I say it was the only thing to do well, Okay, so I'll do the synths answer so I was really into synth music but the problem was kids these days they can get a load of plugins that sound exactly like those records i had a bloody pontempi bon out of the argos catalog and you cannot recreate jean-michel jar with a 40 fi- pound <laughs> oh, keyboard and this is what i was doomed to is you know these days you can make the same sounds that you just get a laptop and free with it comes something that will enable you to make the same sounds that are in the charts in those days it was so impossible um it was quite difficult for guitar players because you need the big amp, but you still kind of do it. It's kind of difficult for drummers because the processed drum sound on records was quite different to what you actually get by mm-hmm. hitting a kit. But for keyboard players, on the records, it was all these Jupiter 8s and um, Profits and so yeah. on. And we had, you say, we had a port tone with... Yeah. with, 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 with... Yeah. So... I just wish I could have lived my life in the 80s again and made the synth pop music I wanted to, but yeah. it was just technically impossible. <clears throat> and even when Acid House and that sort of thing happened, at that point, I was going more down a jazz area. I was, um, so I was going to see, you know, sort of Courtney Pine, w- walking for an hour through the snow to get to a Courtney Pine gig um, uh, when, you know, it was the, you remember the new young jazz musician, yeah. late 80s, early 90s kind of scene. So I, all of grunge and Acid House, and that was totally missing me. But, I mean, the, the were, there was no Acid House in the Northumbrian Moors, yeah. I can tell you that. But you could go to Newcastle Jazz Festival and see the greatest players in the world. Yeah. So that was what I was into then, which I guess brings to me, was music on at home? So my, my parents would play a lot of uh, classical and opera music and so on, which really I've never quite picked up on. I picked up on it a bit. I mean, I, so I'm currently co-producing a Duke DuMont album, And I just heard the first pass of the full album on the way here today. One of the things I've been putting into that is adding in a lot of uh, symphonic strings into the electronic music context. Mm -hmm. So I have taken something out of that classical background. But what they really do is they they play um, a lot of jazz and blues. Jazz record requests on the radio um, and uh, Alexis Corner's show on Radio Mm 1 play a lot of uh, blues and roots music. So that's, um, I like to feel like, a lot of the music I'm working on is black-influenced music. And now with this sort of cultural appropriation theme that's going on, it, you know, you feel oh, God, if someone listens to a piece of music I've made and it's clearly drawing entirely on black roots music, it feels like, oh, it's, it's like, you're not allowed to do that these days. But when I think of what I grew up listening to, you know, there was Muddy Waters on the radio when I was three. Yeah. And what am I allowed to, to make if I'm from Northumberland? Northumbria- Just North, what, Northumbrian small pipes music? Or I, don't, I don't know. So you know, what I was listening to was very diverse. And there was this amazing... <coughs> Radio 1 on Sunday nights it used to be this ridiculously good thing. I might be remembering this slightly wrong, but this is the way I remember it, and that's the way things work. The way you remember it is the way it is in your head. Always. Which is, you had the chart show, which is everything that's happening now, and mm-hmm. have the cassette player and be doing that's Home t- home Taping Kills music, try and get a, press the stop button before they start talking yep. over the end of it. There was Lexis Corner Show, which is basically everything that's happened in the past century, com- know, the whole story of how we got through the combination of African music and mm-hmm. European music, it turned into blues, jazz, soul, disco, funk, rock. He told that story. And Annie Nightingale's show, which was... Yeah, she was very similar to John Peel in those days, but a little bit less angular. She mm. was like, "This is this is the newest thing," and that's where we, we were listening to. Um, like, she played the, the Blue, Blue Monday twelve inch when nobody was playing twelve inches on the on the uh, mm. radio. One of my favorite tracks ever. Could have gone on the on the emotional affecting one, uh, The Police, uh, Once Upon a Daydream B sides to wrap Around Your Finger, I think, it or was, something like yeah. that, which is a song that essentially no one knows, though it's gone on a few recent rarities mm-hmm. releases. Um, it's really obscure really cool stuff so on you know radio one then could give you in the course of one evening you know the past present and future of popular music and that's what i've taken on board it's not what the station is now um but i guess that area of it's probably moved over into six music course, and that sort of, of thing um but when i if you ask me what my musical interests are it's very, very broad, and that's how I make my living, is I, I sort my job is to basically know everything about everything. Any sound you want, I know, you know, what microphone was used, where do you put it, what what desk does it go into, what preamps were used, what EQs were used, how what was the stance that the drummer you know sat in when he was playing. I'm I'm the sort of archive of the whole of recorded music history and how it's done. And this is where it comes out of, is this sort of being in so many bands at school because there was nothing else to do and listening to so many broad types of music at home, which comes in partly from my parents and partly from the the BBC National Broadcaster.
0: Probably the best answer I think anyone's ever given for uh, the song that reminds them of school. Right, Okay. (laughs) Um, So around that time... um, Track four, how, what was the, uh, the first song that you bought from a record shop?
2: Yeah, well, we're rewinding here because this is back to when i seven. This is Zenyattam and Data by The Police, um, which is, um, uh, I still think a great record. I'm actually, um, yeah. it's an interesting point in The Police's career. The reason it's my first record is just the one that came out around the time that I was first aware of popular sure. music. And I was very young at the time. Um, I remember hearing "So Lonely" on the radio, which was from um, "Regatta de Black, the previous right. album, um, and that was the first thing I heard on the radio that made me start asking, you know, "Mummy, what is this?" And I remember I said, "I, used to, I said I like songs that say the name of the song lots of times in the middle." That was my comment as a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. What I meant was, I like a good chorus Yeah. because "So Lonely, So Lonely." So, so I, I, I sort of hooked onto the the core yeah. of pop music, the hook. And then, then the did Atomod you dust, think it was "So Lonely"? So, lo- so lonely sending out an so so lonely <laughs> yeah well also because he's um, stings from Newcastle and we were nearby and I when when you get involved in the music scene in Newcastle everyone like you know played with sting when he was a kid and oh yeah Gordon was my milkman and all yeah, of that of course. and that whole sort of you sing in Geordie, but it sounds like jamaica and when he's playing bringing in the reggae influences yeah, yeah.
0: just a cast away <laughs>
2: um, it's really a, a really sort of sound that's uh, quite direct for me yeah. um but um, so in, in the police started off sort of quite punky and raw, and then they ended up, as everything did in the eighties, quite quite processed. I mean, that's not it's not that processed, mm. but you know, there's a,
0: it's far a, more so than the earlier yeah. stuff.
2: And then in the middle, you've got Zenyatta Mondatta. Where what's weird is they, there's a lot of stuff on there, like Voices Inside Your Head, um, which is they were just filling time on the record by just having a few jams. Yeah. But it's quite groovy and. Um, the Pulse is reminiscent of disco, but they were not trying to do disco mm. at all. But, you know, things float into you. Sure. And um, I spent a long time recently trying to recreate that drum sound that Stuart Copeland had on that record because you've got this really high kick drum and really high snare drum and they go over the top of... So Sting's bass goes down the bottom and then you've got this... With the drum's right up the top. And for me, it's like the way Jungle works. where well, you have the sub bass going then this sort of pitched up uh breakbeat going so the drums are over the top of the bass these
0: hi-hats were all over the place weren't they, they were crazy like <laughs> madness weren't they yeah
2: nobody yeah. plays hi-hats like stuart copeland no one speeds up into the chorus like stuart copeland yeah. to give it energy so i mean you know but what i think's interesting about this is um you can as someone in the music industry or produ- uh, producer underestimate children you can think, well, kids are only interested in stupid things. And you can, you, can, you know, just uh, underestimate the, the, how good the musical taste of kids can be. Because if I think of what I was listening to when I was eight, you know, I'm listening to The Police, The Clash, The Pretenders... Uh, Diastroy, Mode, Juran Joran. I'll go back and listen to any of those records right now, I'll and, hold and, up. and 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 they're really really good. And weirdly, the the what I thought was my embarrassing kiddie song was the, the, the first song I wanted to buy. I wanted to buy the single of Captain Sensible, What, mm. um, which I was is kind of a novelty record. Okay, it is a novelty record, mm-hmm. and yet I now often DJ the twelve inch of it, where it's this fantastic thing where you've got a um seminal punk icon realizing he's become out of date and pastiching what's replacing him which is rapper's delight Mm. and so you've got a a punk icon yeah basically doing his own version of rapper's delight but it's just like a year between punk and rap yeah sort of you know battling and and, you know it's it's like on the wrong side of the fence and it's it should be embarrassing but it's I kind of like it still. That's even my embarrassing record. I no, still like it. All no, we... Kid Creole and the Coconuts were sort of like a novelty lounge, um, Two record. But you know, all that stall pigeon and Annie, I'm not your daddy, and yeah, uh, that's still great tracks. So even the tracks I sort of were embarrassed was embarrassed about looking back. I still think they're all good records. So, and so we should, when we make music, we should remember if you're making music for an eight year old, that doesn't mean that it's um has to be Baby Shark, you know.
0: A- absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, somebody chose Gladys All Over by Captain Sensible last mm-hmm. week and still holds up as a yeah, great yeah. record. Like, yeah. you know, I flick through these records like ahead of, mm-hmm. of of doing these recordings and, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's the I same... went
0: down a Captain Sensible hole last week. I really right. did.
2: Well, it's, and it's also, it's the same kind of time as um, you had um, uh, John Lydon in, in Public Image Limited. Mm. And Public Image Limited is very obviously... An, an art project it, albeit a sort of subversive one I but, think it, but, it, but it's very much the same thing isn't it it's still, you know, you've got these people who, would do it, who were doing three chord punk songs two years ago realising that they're, they're glad it's all over yeah, and they can yeah. express themselves in a more free yeah. manner.
0: I think Peel were like you know he would make the, you know, the, 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 you know, the abrasive dub and then mm. like but, but then fast forward and he'd make records like don't ask me and, mm. and, and disappointed which I mean don't ask me probably fits in that, that that kind of mid to late 80s kind of processed you know did not have the kind of guts and, and gall of of uh, you know the, the early pill mm. stuff I think like I think he's gone back now mm. I think he's back to making what he wants to make uh uh I do think he's a, he's a fascinating artist it, it, to to whose career well, up. I think
2: it's really interesting listening to these artists in the sixties, seventies, eighties. The trends would change so quickly. Um, and you'd have to change your sound to keep up with it. And all these yeah. artists, they, the product, I mean, one of my like party tricks is I, I, I can identify any, right, okay, I can't always get it right, but surprisingly often I, I can. I can identify the year of production of any track just by hearing the snare drum. Yeah. Because each year there was a different thing you did and the, the sound morphed with different miking techniques yeah. and, you know, they got smaller, they got bigger, they got more realistic, you layered in in samples yeah. on top of it. You know, this year that drum machine came out and these, these acts would change their sound um, so much year by year, keeping up with the trends. And that doesn't happen quite so much these days. Um, it's, you know, you can find uh, Coldplay now isn't that different from Coldplay then. MK now isn't that different from MK in the completely, 90s. Completely. Chasing Status now isn't that different from Chasing Status in 2004. You can... Sounds sort of seem to lock and stay as a genre yeah. longer. And it's it makes it a challenge as a creative artist. Definitely for electronic
0: um, music as well, because I think if you, you know, we we mentioned like Depeche Mode earlier, Uh, as you say, like you listen and their music is evolving as technologies. Evolving yeah. with their their, their their you know their sounds with their synths and the yeah. drum machines. You know, you Martin can... Gore insisting that he has to be a guitar player because absolutely, what he, he's like, look,
2: you're a synth band. I want to play guitar. <laughs> exactly. You're a synth band. Stop playing guitar.
0: Can you not see how good this Gresh guitar looks <laughs> with my blonde hair? Yeah, I look really <laughs> rock and
2: roll with this. We thought you looked cool with the tape machine behind you with the Pro One. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, brilliant! All right, the song the soundtrack you're using, Clubland.
2: So this was a very difficult question for me. I make my living in dance music. Yeah, um, uh, I've worked with almost every major dance artist um, and make my own music as well. Um, but I'm not a clubber. I, the very phrase years in club land does not compute for me. I think it's technically true. I've never paid to go to a club voluntarily. Then it's like, well, guest list, I I have only been in nightclubs if someone's paying for me to be there because I'm part of what's happening that night. Mm -hmm. And it's, why I mean, okay, so I'm somewhere on an autistic spectrum where I'm comfortable talking to a person, but I don't like a lot of noise around me. I don't like a lot of people. I don't Mm -hmm. like meeting lots of new people at the Mm -hmm. same time. Um, So it's a very awkward environment for me to, like, have noise and people try and all the the little social games that people play, able to show off to each other, or am I the cool one? And it's like, all of that is like, I'm not playing in this ballpark. I sure. don't know what's going on. And then I've been teetotal most of my life. I mean, I do drink primarily on my own podcast where we've got outrageously drunk sometimes. Yeah. But in, in real life, I don't drink very often. Never yeah. taken any drugs, not looking for a sexual partner. All these things that are happening in the club land scene really pass me by. And when I was that age, I was going to jazz clubs, which is a, a different... Mm -hmm. experience entirely Um, but in my i have been in clubs a lot because it's my job to dj you know um Mm. so the way i found through this is it's all about the music for me it's not about clubbing and having it large Mm -hmm. and caning it and all of that it's uh, you know i i like great music and so one of the things i've tried to do in my time uh working in the industry is if i spot really people who I think are talented young producers who don't have the opportunity to develop their career, and I think that their value is musical as opposed to they are trendy at the moment. Trendy? I sound like a dad. (laughs) Um, uh, And so I I picked a a Phonat track, Set Me Three. Now, on the personal level, so Phonat is a guy called Michele Balduzzi, who um, around 2005... I was running my own record label. I've got two record labels so that are fairly much resting at the moment. One was called Heavy Disco, which was a, a breakbeat label then and became a disco record label every time, and another one called Mofar Hi-Fi, which is just electronica. Um, so I got sent demos all the time. We, run a label. we were putting out vinyl and so on. And um, I get sent demos all the time. And you, you, you listen to these demos, and you can tell within two seconds if anything's right. It's weird. I've seen, there's some footage of Fatboy Slim going through uh, um, all the record promos he's been sent. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, he dropped the needle, two yeah. seconds, no. Dropped the needle, yeah. two seconds, yes. Yeah. And he's going, this is what really happens. And then and he I,
0: takes them to the charity uh, yeah, shop, yeah, yeah. they're the ones that don't want. But that's
2: actually, you know, with electronic music, it's loop-based, you can tell straight away. And I put, this guy was uh, a teenager in a farmhouse in Tuscany in his bedroom, and put it on, it's like, that's the best thing I've heard since Daft Punk and and we like said come come to uh come to England come and, come and I'll, you can use my studio for free and um so he came over and he made an album called Phonat P H O N A T um about, yeah, a little over 10 years ago and then uh Skrillex heard him and said he was the best producer he'd ever heard so we sent him to LA and licensed him over to Skrillex on our label but this is like a seminal track set me free um it's um I think it's important it's a very personal record for him and it's, it's, it's clearly his own sound but it's like the birth of EDM without most people knowing about it it's the, f- it's the track that brought back this idea that you have since going uh, 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 so Phonat made this track it's great you so you'll play it in a moment. You won't. It's on the playlist, is it? Yeah. Then we, um, we thought we need to get a more clubby remix of it. And uh, my partner in the Young Punks, Nathan Taylor, said, well, I've heard this really great, great uh, Swedish guy called Avicii. Um, he's just a teenager in his bedroom, but he, but he could do something for us. So this unknown guy called Avicii made us a remix in which he made it into big um, euphoric source synths, but still going... Yeah. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. And like a year or two later, this had all turned into EDM. Um, with, you know, it was, I'm not saying I invented EDM, but I invented EDM. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so no, but but we think, you know, soundtracks your years in club land. Well, what happened was when I started off, Americans didn't get dance music and then, by seven years later they've done what americans do they turned it into a much more profitable commercial version of the music which was yeah. absolutely massive but maybe lacked the interest and soul that got us into it in the first place mm-hmm. but this one track is sort of for me the intersection between my personal quest to find interesting new musicians help young talent develop them- themselves and actually changing the music scene mm-hmm. at a critical point where there was a sort of jump forward in what was happening in the uh, popularity of that da- electronic music worldwide.
0: Track six. <laughs> Favourite song from an artist from your home county?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? So my home county, as I went on to Wikipedia, I thought, I don't know anyone from, from Northumberland. Um, not don't know anyone. There's a lot of people from Newcastle. Um, you know it's a, you know straight away Newcastle you've got you know you sort of oh yeah animals by by ferry half a c d c dc Feliz, you know is it like um just loads and loads of major artists from Newcastle but Northumberland what i found actually was that um Pete Doherty's from um Northumberland which i didn't know didn't know that didn't know that never never took that as a as, as his background um, but the Wikipedia page for music, musicians from Northumberland I got 13 entries on it and I would pick out Catherine Tickell a great sm- small pipes player um, she is really good and she, uh, she does guest on quite a lot of uh, good uh, Sting songs um, but uh, there, w- there wasn't like a, a track that jumped out for me uh, so the next place I lived after Northumberland was, was Cambridge and it, it jumped out more because I picked this band Ezio so it's Ezio a Booger uh, to friends of mine friends of mine in that. Cambridge had a really good music scene. A lot of the people that I've played with since then, um, including things like... I, I, mu- I was music director for Dizzy Rascal at BBC Electric Proms. Dizzy Rascal with orchestra, choir, rock band. First time we'd played in that kind of environment. Did you play in Dizzy's band as well? Yeah. So I, so we, 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 I was sort of... Well, I was play- I'm playing on everyone's records anyway. So mm-hmm. I'm on the thousand records. I think at one point I was like... There was some website that was collating um different people's credits to see um you know sort of databasing them and so on so you can see who's been on how many records and so on the data wasn't that clean but there was like three guys off the wrecking crew um who played on every you know Obviously. like people who played on every motown record and then there's like me at number five <laughs> most records ever in history
0: sort of thing are you keeping um, good company then
2: um but but on so um Yes, yeah, so Dizzy, this is a bit of an aside, isn't it? But um, we're not talking about Ezio. We'll get back to Ezio again. Um, so, um, yeah, Dizzy Rascal's manager, Cage, who's a, you know, affects a fairly intimidating personality, was down at the studio talking about something. He said, oh, we've been asked to do the electric proms, but oh, we're not going to do it. So why aren't you going to do it? So, Who wants to hear grime with an orchestra? Which is funny, because now it's 10 years later, and you go and listen to... you are an K- orchestra? Go and listen to Kano's album, opens with an orchestra. It's um, playing on it, go and listen to um,
0: um,
2: lots, okay, lots of the grime artists are working with orchestras now but back then it was like the opposite of what they were doing and I was going well it's a question of um, you know, how you do it and it's like what do you mean it's like okay just imagine this right you want to do mash up, picks up, looks sharp and you've got a whole orchestra all in black tie looking really formal and then all they do is bang their instruments and go Yeah, and you've got a whole symphony orchestra doing that and uh, Dylan rapping over it that's going to be great isn't it it's like yeah yeah I I suppose I suppose that you know could be good and then it's like and then imagine you've got some track where um you know you've got uh, scratching going on in the original record but you do kind of rage against the machine thing where you've got a rock band playing it and you've got uh, you know guitar player morello do, do, doing morello style scratching and yeah. it's like live band delivering it and I go oh yeah that that could be quite good and he said well, we don't have time to do it and I said well you know he said but do you want to do it it's like oh, okay then and so I sort of ended up with this like well we'll see you in 2 months and you've got to have an entire set for orchestra choir rock band that dizzy can walk in and go yeah i'm willing to tolerate this no pressure no pressure um but actually you know uh cage and dizzy were really gave us an amazing amount of creative free reign and they were very open a lot of the music industry is very closed about how live is delivered. used to be that you, the live was the real thing and you made a record of what the sure. band was. Now you've got a thing where you get people making records and they've actually never played live. It's a lot of sign a pretty girl who you know, sounds good on the microphone in the studio with autotune. They put the album out, they get into the charts, they're on the Radio 1 playlist, they've still never play, performed live. And they go out and they've not learned any of the lessons about, yeah. you know, how do you not get feedback on the microphone? When you can't hear yourself live, um, uh, how do you manage to cope with staying in tune? When someone makes a mistake on stage, how do you make sure the, the, uh, the audience think that it's a good moment in the show rather than a bad moment? They've not learned any of those. I mean, there ask people who have done, mm. but, you know, there's... Um, so what hap- happens is the, the, you get, the live shows almost get put on by the marketing department as the end of we want to hire, you know, I've literally had people say to me, oh, we need a, a bass player that, that's like maybe mixed race. Would that be OK? And then if i find a black female drummer, that would look cool. And then it's like, hang on, hang on. You should be asking what they sound like, how they play and whether they get on with the artists. You're not casting them as models. Mm. And so it, it's, it's, it's for, live shows are and they want them to sound like the record. But why? You've you've already got the record, yeah. so Dizzy gave us the creative free rein to do what a live show should do, which is we had no track, no click track, everything live. And uh, some you know some nights it was fast, some nights it was slow, but that gives you the excitement. Um, and we were able to go into his catalog and really reinvent the tracks in, in unusual ways. You can find the Dizzy Rascal electric proms lurking on YouTube. It's it's scattered. There's no official upload, but lots yeah. of people have put you know rips yeah, and so yeah, yeah. on up. Um, but say so the reason I ended up talking about this was that band was essentially just a jam session band that I had in Cambridge, you know, pr- transplanted. Yeah. Um, people that you just play night after night jamming. And um, if you think, ask people in Cambridge what, like, the biggest local band for the past 30 years would be, it's Ezio, E-Z-I-O, and it's Ezio and Booger is the full name. So they're two of the most miserable bastards you've ever met Mm. while simultaneously being absolutely hilarious, and it's the two of them have a, it's a on the one hand it's a very British kind of personality, this very, very gruff um, sort of affected, miserable personality, but also being a massively hilarious raconteur they're actually, you know, one of them's actually Italian, the other one's half African so, you know, Melting Pot England Hashtag Brexit, where's it all going? But um, they had that classic thing where in the early 90s there were a buzz act and then they had this thing that sort of was a, a, an albatross around their neck that when uh, Tony Blair did Desert Island Discs, he had, had one of their tracks on the Desert Island Discs. Right. Became like the band that Tony Blair, blah, blah, blah. And they, then they you know, did two albums on a major label with good producers, got dropped, blah, blah, blah. The usual trajectory of nearly made it local band. Mm-hmm. But... Um, amazing band live, Um, Ezio, brilliant singer-songwriter. It's roll of the dice of who you meet and whether the sound you have is right on the right day. No way that they're a worse band than some of the greats of the uh, pop rock singer-songwriter tradition. You know, just some people were born in... were were hanging out in Laurel Canyon... The, uh, the month that the AR man decided that, that Folk Hippie was going to go massive now. Some people are in Cambridge at a point where, you know, um, uh, Show Me Love is in the charts. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no, like, better singer-songwriter on either side. It's whether you're in the right place at the right completely, time. Completely. And um, <coughs> so I, I picked a song called uh, Same Mistake, which is just a, a classic piece of Ezio of melancholic, personal realising he's screwed his life up which is basically his thing but um, you know he's very good at
0: his (laughs) wonderful well um, it's the last track and then um, we'll we'll discuss that and then and obviously I want to find out about what you're doing now and I want to find out a little bit more about the podcast as well so for track seven it's your turn to uh, to be uh, influencer and DJ how so it's a song many may not know that you would like them to hear
2: after I emailed these questions through, I suddenly realised I should be using this as an opportunity to promote one of my own projects. Do it. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll give you an answer that isn't the answer. Well, you can, you can put more things in the um in, in the, the playlist. In the, in the playlist. Um, I've, we were talking about the Young Punks, which has been my main sort of electronic mashup project um, over the years. Um, but uh, I've also got a side project at the moment called the Tribe of Good, uh-huh. which is signed to Ultra Records. Um, Usually, more of an EDM kind of label. It's really my imagining of soul and disco, reimagining of soul and disco. Um, so, uh, we've rec- the way we did the album, um, which will come out in the next few months, but there's quite a few singles lurking out there now, was we recorded everything 100% authentically to a sort of 1968 to 1975 gear list mentality songwriting structure. So, we, we, we basically went back and made some soul and disco records as they always were but then in the post-production and the mixing we we treated it like a modern pop record so um you've got a sound which is very authentic to um a sort of key point in music history with a retro tinge but it can hold its own on a playlist against modern music, because we're yeah. mixing the kick and snare to be in your face like a modern dance track and that sort of thing. Um, if you want to listen to something there, you can listen to a track called um, Turning It Up for the Sunshine. is a, a big, happy disco number. Amazing track called um, uh, Broken Toys with a, so- a singer called Ishan Gopal, who's a little Asian kid from London who sounds exactly like young Michael Jackson, amazingly talented child performer from, from the UK. Um, so uh, check out some of that stuff. That's what I thought after I sent it in, but actually what I sent in as the track you should discover is uh, Bobby Tank. Again, I mentioned Phonat with Set Me Free. Um, Bobby Tank is uh, another electronic artist that I signed to my label Mo for a Hi-Fi a few years ago. Again, it's, you know, it, it's kid in his bedroom somewhere in London, making this ridiculous, ridiculously complex electronic music um so intricate so difficult so just involved the, uh, it was about the time that like minimal house was happening where everything was just a few bleeps and blonks and, and then he made this which he called it maximal music so many chords so many instruments massive drum fills really complex things all played himself um, at home um but with a really euphoric, uplifting sound. And um, it was interesting. We signed him to the label. He hadn't made this track after Burn. And then uh, we were about to release the first EP. I said, oh, I just made this yesterday. What do you think of it? And it's one of those tracks where they only come along occasionally. You press play, and it's like... Do you remember those tango adverts where you just get, like, hit <laughs> in the face, <page>, like, <laughs> bang, and like, what the hell just yeah. happened? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's like... It's absolutely amazing, and not a lot of people have heard it.
0: Thank Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Podcast. Yes. It's, it's back. It took a, li- a little break at the end of last year, I see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's... it's uh...
2: so we've been running this podcast since 2007, when podcasts started to be a thing. Um, and uh, with a fairly consistent format, which is, essentially, we play music for two hours, we talk over the entire thing usually getting progressively more drunk. Um, And then I edit out two-thirds of the talking, so it's actually vaguely listenable too, after the fact. Um, (laughs) And um, people... It tends to be quite enjoyable to people, because this dance music podcast, they tend to be like a DJ set with a few idents dropped over the top. You're listening to the Something podcast. And then it's just a DJ set. Um, And then you've got the comedians who've really collared this area of, like people in the room having a laugh, a banter, riffing off each other. And I think it's, it intersects those two formats where you've got the same, the DJ mentality of we're going to play two hours. Sometimes a bit gone on for three hours, but we did do a six hour one one time. Uh, that thing where you, you, you build, you know, you have to listen to the whole thing to build through the story sure. of the music combined with the conversational element of, it's just like going out to the pub, you start chatting to people. Some of it's on topic, some of it's off topic, um, and, you know, we've always made them quite long because you can't record for half an hour and expect gold to happen. Yes. If, if you're talking for two hours, something pretty, you know, amusing probably happens by mm-hmm. the end of the two hours. Um, there's a, we stopped doing it because what, uh, originally we, um, we changed it to a weekly webcast where we were brought... It's a bit like boiler room TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, the camera's on as well. We have a party. Um, and uh, we did that for quite a while. But it's interesting. There's, there's pros and cons of doing it live. If you're doing it live, the audience feel more engaged because they literally know it's happening right now and they, you know, they can tweet you on the chat room and you put, you can't talk into the show back at them and it, you know, it's real time. But um, it does restrain you on what you can say because on the one hand, if you say something that's like, is this defamatory? I don't know. It's like, if, you record, if you're if you going to edit it, it's like, I'll say it anyway, we'll decide yeah, later. Yeah. And also if it's like, oh, there's a really important track and it's like, oh, I don't want to talk over it, That stops the conversation. Whereas if it's like, oh, we'll just... I, you know yeah. post i can move the conversation into a gap between two songs even if it was over an important part yeah. of the song and then we stopped doing it because eventually you, you burn out doing the same thing year after year i mean that's 12 years of podcast there we started doing it again now and um uh, enjoying it it's it's fun some some you know a mixture of electronic music a mixture of people eating snacks drinking drinks and chatting to each other
0: where can people hear it
2: um, well, you can find it in all the usual iTunes and Spotify type things. Uh, if you go to P-U-N-X, dot com, you will find us. Subscribe and tell people about it. It's amusing.
0: How rhythm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Pleasure. There you have it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Hal for giving up his time to come down. Uh, As I mentioned in the podcast, please head over to Spotify and you can listen to uh, all the tracks that we were chatting about on this podcast. And I will be back next week with another episode. If you can't wait that long, go and check out the Patreon page because there's a weekly radio show available there. And one more thing, go and check out podbiblemag.com. Pod Bible is your one-stop shop for all things podcast-related. It's owned by myself and Scribius, Pip, and Adam Richardson. It's a bi-monthly magazine. If you can get a print copy, grab one, have a look, let us know what you think. Other than that, you can go online and read it. And it's also got a podcast. It's Pip, me, and Adam chatting to all your favourite podcasters. And again, you can find out about all of this at podbiblemag.com. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh yeah, sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition. There's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well Podbiblemag.com. It's Off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network.